This is a Rooster Teeth production. In 1974, a series of gruesome murders took place in a colonial home along the south shore of Long Island, New York. Just one year later, a new family moved into this home despite warnings from friends. Soon after, the family was terrorized by paranormal phenomena and forced to flee the home. Today, we're going to unveil the true story behind the infamous Amityville Horror House. This is Red Web. Welcome back, Task Force. It is still October. That means we are dissecting, pulling apart another haunted house this week. A very gruesome tale, Amityville. I'm going to give it to you right up top. We have a trigger warning for gun violence and various forms of abuse. But talking about it this week, I'm your host, Trevor Collins. And with me, bringing his gut instinct, Alfredo Diaz. Yeah, Deadpool did this movie. What? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wolverines? Oh, my God. Um... Yeah, I saw the movie a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So what I do remember is the father was possibly possessed or something like yep. that. Went nuts. Had visions of murdering his family and yeah. murdered his family. Right. But I don't know like any of the details really. And yeah. if that, I only saw the Hollywood version of right. it. So I'm eager to dive in. This this house has a lot of history. There's There are two big pieces of it that we're going to dive into Mm -hmm. that get merged because there was a book, as you mentioned, turned into a movie, which take it at very face value. And we're going to dive into the very real stories that spawned that spooky story. And then of course, as always, we're going to dive into the theories that attempt to answer what's going on, pull apart the reality to find the underlying sinister, true nature of what might've actually gone down. And I do want to say huge shout out. This is the first guest we've had on this show. We're going to bring on Kelsey Childs, a.k.a. The Haunted Detective. Mm-hmm. She's got a theory covering a few things that are a little bit newer that I won't be fully diving into in this outline. And we're going to have her present that theory at the very end. So please stick around. Very interested for that. It pulls in some of the theories revolving revelations in the documentary and a book that came out not too awful long ago. So we're going to dive into that. Right, because Kelsey was talking about the doc. there's a documentary. That's all yep. I heard. That's all I yep. heard was there's a documentary and involved the there are family members, family from, members? from these incidents, Oof. at least one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yeah, keep it we'll vague keep it for secret. now, and we'll talk about that. But with that said, let's dive into it again. Remember, it's a gruesome story. So we're going to talk about the DeFeo murders. This is what kicks it all off. On November 13th, 1974, Ronald DeFeo Jr. entered Henry's bar and exclaimed, quote, you got to help me. I think my mother and father are shot. DeFeo Jr. returned to his home with a group from the bar, one of whom called the police. In addition to finding DeFeo Jr.'s parents deceased, all six family members, both his parents and four siblings, were found in their bed face down and had been shot with a rifle. So, the DeFeo house, as it was known at the time, sits at 112 Ocean Drive in the Amityville neighborhood of Long Island, New York. It's a colonial-style house with five bedrooms and three and a half baths. Strangely, after this incident, Apparently, no neighbors heard the gunshots, and when it comes to the bodies being found in the bed, it seemed that they were purposely placed in their beds. This will come up a little bit more in the theories as to why those two things are there, but I want to present them. I will also show you just a standard picture of that house. 
You can type in that address to this very day oh, wow. and try to see it on Google Maps, for example. House. But it's actually blurred out. Oh. And the and the neighboring houses are blurred out. They they're really trying to disconnect the house from its history. And I understand. Yeah, no, that. I, I get it. Uh um, but it'll be hard to. Yeah. <laughs> so all the photos yeah. you're gonna see now are either showing up, which I would say, please don't do that out of respect mm -hmm. to them, and finding them on Google Images. So when it comes to DeFeo Jr., he claimed that the murders must have been committed by a mafia group, and the police then took him into custody. This will again come up in the theories. This is what the son? This is the son, DeFeo Jr. How yes. old was DeFeo Jr.? DeFeo Jr. was 23. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so relatively young. So I, I imagine DeFeo Jr. going into that bar as like a child. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Help! Right. And then, then <laughs> the child five year old in through the saloon doors. Exactly. And the child yeah. going like, it was the mob. I'm like, okay, hold on. Mm -hmm. He's probably older. I'm mm -hmm. picturing him very young. He's no, yeah. <laughs> So a few things to earmark, right? I love to do this. Mm -hmm. No neighbors hearing it. The body seemed purposely placed. And now we have DeFeo Jr. himself in the moment claiming that it must have been committed by the mafia. So soon after, of course, he was taken into the police custody at that time. Soon after, the police found many inconsistencies in his story. Oh, no, I was, I was just about to say you're probably, I mean, obviously, because the police are going to try and do their due diligence. Mm -hmm. You're a suspect. Yeah. That sucks. Oh, yeah. In a situation where your family is like murdered. And yep. then, like, so. Because you like, you know, they're not going to try to let that on right away. But also, you know, the back of their mind, they're like, this person do it. Right. You are one oh. of the primo suspects. Ugh. I mean, pressure look, I don't like. Look no further than Netflix's Making a Murderer. I yeah. mean, if you really want an inside look at how the pressures can happen or how people yep. can end up in an interrogation that they don't realize, et cetera. Yeah. But I'll table that for now. The next day, DeFeo Jr. confessed to murdering his entire family himself. Following trial, DeFeo Jr. was convicted of second-degree murder at 23 years old. So, in the trial, and since his sentence, DeFeo Jr. has made many conflicting claims about the murder. Again, his story does seem a little bit garbled. Wow, I don't remember any of this. I don't know if this was in the movie or not, but I just... No, this is the incident, I think, that might have been light, lightly glossed over that then leads to right, uh, the to next incident, the, the next, haunting of yeah, the Lutz the family. family. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. got it. To my understanding, I haven't seen the movie in quite a yeah, few years, same. but... So yeah, it was known that DeFeo Sr. was extremely demanding and abusive towards his children. This led DeFeo Jr. down a path to substance abuse. DeFeo Jr. saw a psychiatrist after numerous outbursts towards his dad, including an instance where he pointed a gun at his dad. Mm. He subsequently went to prison and remained there until his death in 2021. Really not all that long ago, but that's the DeFeo story, simply put. So, uh, you know, nice house. Lots nice of bad, house. Uh, lots of bad happened to it. Dark history right out it, the gate. Isn't it? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Does that information need to be present at the purchase of a home or does, is that like state dependent? Very interesting that you asked that. So the other day I was straight up looking into this. And of course this is in the seventies. So things right. could have changed. It depends on the state, whether you have to That's declare insane. if somebody passed away or was murdered at the site. I it also sometimes like depends that. on the nature of that. Mm -hmm. It also depends sometimes on how recent it was. So certain states might force you to declare it if it was within three months. Sometimes like I think California, for example, mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. You don't have to say anything. I don't, I, I'm not a lawyer. 
That's just what my right. baby memory remembers from the other day looking this oh, up. Oh, I yeah. don't like that at all. No. By used. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so as you mentioned, so far off to a very dark start. That's where the Lutz family comes in. So despite this now dark history to the house, George and Kathy Lutz decided to purchase the Amityville home for $80,000 in December of 1975. Wow, that's so cheap. That was a year after this incident went down. Did they, so they, did they know about it? Oh, yes. I'm uh, pretty probably, sure they right? knew about it. I mean, a year later, I'm, I'm sure it was super publicized and everything like that. Yeah. Th so I mean, like, this they is chose definitely to buy it because it was cheap. Well, I we'll just, get into that. Oh, we'll get oh, into. We'll I get didn't into think the you'd have anything on that. A little bit. We we know. Again, some of this will come out in the theories, but I do want to say out top, like they had a range that they were looking for a house in. This eighty thousand dollar number was a decent chunk of change up above that range. So we'll get into that. Whoa. So, oh wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. So thirteen months after the murders. They move in. A friend of the Lutzes knew the history of this house and insisted that they bless the house. So they knew going into it. Okay, they knew. The Lutzes reached out to a priest named Father Ralph Pecorero to perform the blessing. The priest entered the home alone while the Lutzes unloaded their belongings from their car. So they're thinking this is going to go nice and smooth. The priest goes in, blesses the house. They're already unpacking, ready to go. They're I'm already, waiting in a packed car going, give me the thumbs up. They are already committed. Mm -hmm. They're I'm sure oh man, that's wild. To them, I'm sure they're just like, what you know, sure, whatever. We'll do yeah. we'll, we'll do it. That that reminds me, my when I bought my house, my grandmother was like, you know, uh from a Filipino side of the family, it was mm -hmm. like, you know, bring this and bring that and bless the house. Right. And, and I was like, nah, grandma, I'm not doing all that. Disconnect the house from its past. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I ain't doing all that. Why not? I just you don't know until you know, and then it's too late. That's true. As someone Grandma's who's always just like, look, better safe than sorry. Hey, I didn't. <laughs> in the infamous words of of Grandma Fredo, she's wild. She wild. She wild. I love so. your Gma. All right. So here's what happened. And tell me now, if you're the family unpacking your car outside, the priest is inside the home alone, blessing the house. He goes upstairs to one of the bedrooms, and the priest says he heard a very deep voice yell get out and felt a slap in his face. He came outside after finishing blessing the house and he told the Lutzes that they should never, never sleep in that room. The priest left and found blisters on his hand that weren't there previously. He also claimed his car was acting like it was possessed in his words, with the doors and wipers acting erratically until the engine itself died. After the blessing, the entire family began reporting strange occurrences and, of course, moved in. Tell me. At which point in what I just said, do you go not moving in? Or do you uh, commit because I mean, you've already signed the, the deal? So look, you lose a lot of money by not committing. But also, if they knew before they bought the house, why would you buy the house? That's the thing. Especially if it was coming you, from a friend, mm, maybe, maybe they, they got, didn't you know, know until they were already too deep. And in so they escrow. said, okay, fine, we'll, we'll do the blessing. And then yeah. maybe that, because it's the friend's advice. And then maybe we'll be... We'll I mean, cut ties. I mean, here's the thing. I know at least in like Texas, you I think it's like penalized or you there's heavy taxes if you're if you're there Depends. for less than a year. Oh yeah. So if you resell it within like, I like think two year. years of it being your primary residence, you uh -huh. then have capital gains tax on it. Yep. There you go. Capital uh, gains on whatever you've the net yeah. profit. So like but you also have the, like the equivalent of a security deposit on your 
contract when you're right. in the buying process. Yeah. So, I mean, drop the security deposit. I, right. I, I lose it. Right. It's a, it might suck, but the, the rest of this sucks a lot worse. Like, so. I don't I don't know, man. Especially since you got a family. Yep. And if, if you are seeing and experiencing mm -hmm. those things, mm -hmm. why? I don't understand, like, who says... I'm gonna put my family through this. We're gonna we're gonna ride this out. Yeah, it's it's literally the question that every viewer has when watching a horror classic movie, yeah. horror movie. They yeah. go, "Dude, why?" Even then, if the priest said, "Don't go into this room in particular," or at least I'm, don't I'm, sleep there. I'm I'm sure you're gonna tell me they slept in the room. Right? It's like, come on. What man. do you want to bet? It was the room with the two come like quarter on. circle windows. You know, the classic <sighs> look of it. Uh, it must have been like it's a nice room. We gotta sleep in it. Yep. Okay, so place gets blessed, family moves in. Every night, George would wake up at exactly 3.15 a.m., supposedly the same time that the DeFeo murders took place. George even claimed that he saw his wife and their two children levitating over their beds at night. George, in another instance, said he heard a marching band in the living room one night. So he goes to the living room to investigate. He finds no marching band, of course, but instead all of their furniture had been shoved to one side of the room. Kathy reported invisible hands hitting and scratching her. She put a crucifix in the living room to see if it could help. Supposedly, it turned upside down immediately, and the room began having a sour smell to it. All of this is like very vivid. Very vivid. And in your face. This, none of this is subtle whatsoever. And it seemed like it popped off immediately. Yes. And there's, I think, something to that. Okay. Either something very validating to this whole haunting mm -hmm. or something that plays very heavily into one of the theories okay sorry i know i keep burying the lead no no like... <laughs> no but i'm just like i'm just sitting here i'm just like this is so aggressive so fast right yeah. away like this I is feel... all with first month yeah 100%. i feel like i don't know i feel like it's it's so wild and it seems so consistent that if i was in this situation right first off i'm out mm -hmm. done yeah you know that's hotel, that's, that's way way past my line but also, I feel like I could literally be like, yo, Trevor, like, dude, this house is not a good house. And you'd be like, but it's, come on. And then I'd just bring you. And then all of a sudden, it'd be like, boom, now you see it. I'm taking up all and your ghost I'd, mosquito bites. And then I asked my neighbors, hey, can you come check us out? This is being kind of weird. I would get so many people mm -hmm. to come to this. If, this. if it's so vivid like this. I'd be this, holding tours. Right. I'd be like, look, this house, it's freaking like over yeah. the top crazy. That, and if they don't see it, like maybe uh, having external activity in the house makes it uh, calm down. True. Either way. Then start renting out rooms. <laughs> right, right, right. You can sleep in the no sleep room. So anyway, now Kathy's having her own experience. And then as the story continues, the children began sleeping on their stomachs, very reminiscent to how the entire DeFeo family was found in their beds face down. And they claimed additionally that doors were coming off the hinges. Green slime was oozing from the walls and out of the keyholes. Very reminiscent, actually, of the blood house that we talked about a few weeks back. They even claimed to have seen a room full of flies in the middle of winter and unexplainable hoof prints outside. I'll be honest, with this show, there are always claims. This mm -hmm. might be the longest list of claims we have ever experienced. We're hitting every type <laughs> like, of sighting. It's a, it's a little over the top, yeah. I'll be honest. I'm it, overbearing i'm over i'm over like you're experiencing this and that and this and that and this and right. i'm like holy like that's just, sensory overload for it sure. is and it also just seems like well you know bring in 
the authorities or the priests, the whatever. Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, we got them. Oh, like, yeah. Go surreal. You they, know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, bring it just feels some... like this would be the place to like bring all that to this life. This is the Mecca, yeah. right? Based on everything it you're just saying. seems like it. This is Proof City, yeah. right? And we will get into that. They do okay. get a whole crew together to come explore this. But I do want to kind of go through again as you kind of put it a laundry list of, of sightings so because long. I mean, there's some other more mundane things like the garage doors opening and closing. It could be an electrical misfire, kitchen knives flying off the counters, a little bit dangerous. But most eerily of all, apparently there was a pig like creature with red eyes that would watch them. This pig creature would go on to be depicted in the movie as Jody. You might recognize her as the one. She looked slightly decayed. It was Missy Lutz's imaginary friend. So mm. that's how the the movie envisioned Portrait, this yeah. squonk-like entity. <laughs> Maybe it was squonk. But certain areas of the house, kind of to button this all up, seemed to be colder than others, as if there was some sort of draw of your energy. And this is just a few. I mean, you, you say that there's a lot going on here, and there are. This is just a few of the countless oddities that the Lutzes reported in this house. So... These are just a few? This is just a few. And very short time window. After only 28 days, the Lutzes decided to leave the house. It took them 28 days of this to then decide to leave. Also, all that happened within a month? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm picking up what you're implying right here. This has got to be like, how is this not the evidence that we need? Right. Right. Okay. So, in 1977, not too awful long after, their story was published in the novel The Amityville Horror by Jay Anson, which was further popularized by the movie of the same name. Yeah. And of course, I think it's been remade uh, as well. I think so. But either way, Anson's book was based on about 45 hours of interviews with the Lutz family inside the infamous house itself. So let's, with that said, that's kind of some of the experiences had between the two families, completely different scenarios. But let's go into the investigation because as you're kind of indicating, this is the moment. This is the time that you get the A-team together and you investigate it. And boy, did they pull out some names. So two months after the Lutzes left the house, a local television station decided to start their own investigation. They're the ones that pulled this team together. Reporter Laura Didio gathered a team of parapsychologists to assist her in looking into the haunting. Interestingly, this team included Ed and Lorraine Warren. Oh, I didn't know that, honestly, not... until Kelsey, who was going to be on in just a bit, told me about that. That's awesome. Yeah. What a crossover. What a crossover. And now you know why they got like their own MCU sort of situation, their own cinematic right. universe of Conjuring. Because they were, yeah, they did a bunch of things in a bunch of different places. Oh, yeah. And for anybody listening, if that name sounds familiar, they're the very Warrens from the Annabelle doll story that we covered a few weeks back, yes, they including are. a bunch of other things. Interestingly enough, little side tangent, Kelsey told me that after this whole thing settled, yes, they were involved. Yes, they kind of investigated and kind of helped spur to life this idea of hauntings mm -hmm. and then quickly dissociated from this almost to kind of have it removed from their resume. I don't know. Why? It's a good question. I'll ask Kelsey later. She's kind of shaking her head, but we can. Yeah, we'll, we'll ask her straight up later on. But. Yeah, that's that's probably why, personally, I, I've known this story quite well. I've watched the movies. Never knew. And I never knew that they were involved. And that could be why. So, this team made some interesting claims, like being overcome with the feeling of sickness, feeling like they were, quote, personally threatened by an evil being. And some said that they saw crying children in this house. Lorraine said that she hoped her Amityville experience was, quote, 
as close to hell as she'd ever get. Really, some really strong words about mm. her experience there. Very big, very popular paranormal investigators. Yes. Making a very big statement. Absolutely. I just, how do we not, how's the world not just like, that? Was that's it, that's, this is the moment, this is the place mm -hmm. that like, cracked this whole thing wide open. Yeah, and how like, is it not? Yeah, oh. I'm about to like continue down that path because like Come honestly, on. it just seems I'm, like this is it. I know. I love how much people have experience wise. Yeah, and I don't want to throw that out just because it's like their own anecdotal experience. But mm -hmm. like, there's very little evidence to substantiate a lot of this, which makes it tough. Yeah, and does feed into some of the theories. And, but, and I will say, because we talked about this in the beginning. Yeah, and don't tell me it's just like a mm -hmm. crossing thought. The house still exists. Google's blurring it, which. Might be, like I said, tell me later, there might be people that live there. How are they not experiencing a ton of things? Right. Or maybe they're just straight up not, you know? Mm-hmm. So, Gene Campbell, a professional photographer, was part of this team. He captured a photo that seemingly featured a young boy with glowing eyes peering around a corner. I've talked about this photo in a previous episode. I don't remember when, because this photo always comes to mind when I think about yeah. ghost photos. Some believe that this young boy is proof of paranormal activity and that it is a ghost of one of the deceased DeFeo boys roaming the home. However, and I'm gonna show you this photo now, Task Force, at RedWebPod on social to check it out, but other than this photo, the team didn't really find anything too concrete. And so it's really hard to, to walk away from this story, hearing all these stories, and not having the evidence to properly back it up. I mean, it's clear as day, it's a boy. It's almost peering, so clear that it makes me wonder, through. was there just an actual boy there? I mean, it looks like it's creepy. I mean, that's like whether you're going to think it's a ghost or not. There's a boy there. Yeah. Doesn't even look transparent. The only odd thing about the boy is that his eyes are glowing. Mm -hmm. Like they're pure white. They're essentially. pure white. Yeah. If, if you're that, listening there, after there's dark, no don't look at this. transparency <laughs> there. There's, there's not translucent. Yep. Not, he's not like saran wrap. You can't see through him. He's there. That's a boy. Yeah. Oh yeah, you, you can tell, like you're saying, clear as day, he's blocking part of the door frame. Yeah. He's there. And not floating or anything. Yeah. Not and going through any, that's just a boy in a door frame. Yeah. And I will say he does look, from what little you can tell of this photo, like a generic young boy. However, True. held up next to the photo of a young John DeFeo, victim of the incident we discussed earlier, mm. does look similar. Yeah. Looks similar. Well, hello there, Task Force. A little break from the macabre. What a good choice of words because one of our fantastic sponsors today is good friends of ours, but I'll talk about them in a second. Right now, go subscribe to youtube.com slash redwebpod to be sure that you don't miss out on our Halloween special here at the end of the month. We go to Penhurst Asylum. We get all creeped out. We have evidence. We want to see if you guys see anything. Let us know in those comments when it happens. But anyway, that's coming soon so be ready for that we also have case files on our youtube channel where we get hands-on with all sorts of stuff whether it be theories from you guys or trying to debunk popular scary tiktoks or just getting hands-on with our ghost hunting tech what we're going to use on halloween that's the very stuff that we kind of break down and talk about that's what that show is all about and then sometimes yeah we we debate about owls and catfish so let us know which one's more terrifying but with that said let's talk about some of our fantastic sponsors this episode of Red Web is brought to you by 30 Morbid Minutes, a fantastic show. This is not even the read. This is just me talking to you from Elise Willems and Jessica Vasami, two good friends of mine, and a fantastic show it is. So 
Let me set the tone. Nickbot, strike the music. Ah, perfect. Do you ever find yourself awake in the middle of the night reading real-life stories that make your skin crawl? The creepy history behind Victorian nursery rhymes or tales of sleep paralysis demons. Perhaps you've seen the haunting images of corpses on Mount Everest, read the last meal requests of death row prisoners, or experimented with seances and spirit boards? If you've ever wondered, hey, what the heck exactly is necro-cannibalism, then 30 Morbid Minutes is the podcast just for you. It's hosted by Elise Willems and Jessica Vasami. Each episode investigates a new topic ranging from macabre to morbid to downright creepy, sourced straight from history and the headlines of today. I know, Task Force, that's going to tickle your fancy. This is essentially the sister podcast to Red Web, so please subscribe now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts because they have new episodes every Tuesday. Or if you're a Rooster Teeth First member, you get it 24 hours early on Mondays. This episode of Red Web is also sponsored by Audible. You know, people ask me, Trevor, you're so superhuman. How do you do everything that you have to do in the day while also reading all of these books that you talk about? And to that, I say Audible is the answer. It allows me to do all the things like working out, going on a walk, researching things of sinister nature, while also listening to the books that I prefer to listen to. Right now, I am actually listening to the end of Ready Player Two. I listened to both Ready Player One and Two on Audible, and it was uh, it was a joy. I went on a trip recently, and that was what I listened to in the plane. I listened to it in the car while I drove around. And uh, it's just a good way to get immersed in your favorite books while also having sometimes some really good voice acting. And if you prefer, there's also some audio podcasts on there that have great sound design if you're into that. So Audible is a super good way to digest the books that you love while also kind of multitasking, doing whatever else life asks of you. And if that sounds interesting, Task Force, let Audible help you discover new ways to laugh, be inspired, or be entertained. New members can try it for free for 30 whole days. Visit audible.com slash redweb or text redweb to 500-500. Once again, that's audible.com slash redweb or text redweb to 500-500 to try Audible for free for 30 days. Audible.com slash redweb. This episode of Red Web is also sponsored by BetterHelp. We live in a complicated world, and sometimes, whether it's our personal or professional lives, it's easier to focus on the problems instead of coming up with solutions and get stuck there. But when we reframe our mindsets, sometimes those same situations become easier to work through. It can be difficult to train your brain to focus on problem solving, especially when you're faced with life's challenges. At least, it's not easy on your own. So, the question is, how do you learn? Well, that's where a therapist can help. We can all get so much from therapy, whether it's reducing stress, helping with anxiety or depression, or just healing in general. If you're interested in giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's entirely online, it's convenient, it's private, and it's affordable. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash redweb today, task force, to get 10% off your first month. Once again, that's betterhelp.com slash redweb. For 10% off your first month. And with that said, let's dive right back into the mystery. Let's dive into some of the theories that attempt to answer what's going on here. Unlike last week when we talked about the Winchester house and ended with the theory of a hoax, which had a lot of new information in it, we're going to start with the idea of this being a hoax. Because this is a very popular theory, is that the Lutz family fabricated the story of the haunting in Amityville. 
George Lutz was reportedly a huge fan of the paranormal. He was said to dabble with the occult and attempted to summon spirits into the house. And the Lutz family also had financial issues and may have not actually been able to afford this house. So they almost kind of consider this as an investment into a story. So as we mentioned, kind of at the top of the episode, they had originally been looking for a house in the thirty dollars to $50,000 range. Oh, you're getting close to double. It, actually, yeah. Oh, yeah. Depends on where you are in that range. Right. You're double or close to. Absolutely. And so that was before they decided to go with this house. So maybe, hey, they thought they could get their money back if they jumped into this haunted house, this story, this house with a dark past and create some sort of paranormal story to go along yeah. with the gruesome history and make some good, good bucks. See, so this is the type of like detail that obviously could have been manipulated just over time, mm -hmm. not even, not even purposefully, but I'm just like, how do we know that? Like that's crazy that's, yeah. that's crazy info to know it's like deep deep cut knowledge. yeah like the family was looking for a house in this price range i'm like yeah. how the hell do we right yeah where's that realtor i want to hear from them <laughs> yeah um ooh, that does that does give weight to the fact that like why would you buy a house that expensive mm -hmm. and i'm sure it's like something man i just when i go i don't want at this point anyone to remember me <laughs> yeah it seems like it's like Imagine if he wasn't into occult stuff. Then you got people here being like, oh, he was into some occult stuff. I'm like, no. Wait a minute. Well, Maybe not. he's haunting the house because he's Whatsoever. like, no. Right. I was just a regular dude. I was a regular guy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So this is when the Lutz's lawyer came into the picture. This was also, oddly enough, Butch DeFeo's former lawyer, William Weber. He claimed in 1979 that the Lutz's and him created the story of the Amityville Horror over drinks to sell the story and make some cash. Weber ceased being their lawyer after financial disagreements, and they went to Anson for a book deal. I think Jay Anson, who I mentioned earlier. Although it could be argued that Weber only said this because he had been the original choice for the book's author, and then he may have wanted some kind of revenge. And so it, it is worth saying that maybe... Could be, yeah, just him slandering. Right, exactly. Oh, because there's motive there for that. Right. However, the wrinkle here is that the Lutzes have in fact undergone polygraph or lie detector tests, which aren't 100%. They are not. But, you know, so leave that as it but, is. But still, oh. I would think that like, it's my very little knowledge. Sure. They're not 100%. And I would like to see the percentage of that inaccuracy. And what percentage of that is because like the person knows how to get around a lie detector ah, test. You know what I mean? That, I mean, I think that's it too, is like staying calm, believing in your lie. Right. You like know? if it's, I don't know, 25% inaccurate, what percentage of that is people that know how to get past yeah, that test? Yeah, and what percentage of it is just false exactly. positives or whatever. So interestingly, despite the accuracy being here and there, George and Kathy took the test separately with polygraph specialist Chris Gugas. So Gugas claimed that they were both telling the truth. Mm. That's another little wrinkle there with this being kind of... Now, again, we're going to take a few seeds from each of these theories, and they're all going to kind of blossom, I think, huh. in the final one. But moving on, there is kind of now a delineation, like, was this house cursed before the murders, or was it cursed after the DeFeo murders? So we're going to talk about those two different theories, and then we're going to talk to Kelsey. So the theory that 
Some believe is that the house was haunted prior to DeFeo Jr. killing his family. Supporters of this theory believe that evil spirits inhabited the house prior and were the voices that DeFeo Jr. claimed to be hearing in his head. DeFeo Jr.'s lawyer entered an insanity plea on his behalf, stating that these voices he was hearing actually took control of his behavior that night. And that's when the murders took place. So this would make the entire DeFeo family, including Jr. himself, victims to these evil spirits. However, again, Jr.'s stories about the murders were very inconsistent. But it's also likely the murder was in retaliation to the abuse he faced from his father. So there is personal stakes in play that do tend to soften the blow of this being purely an right. act of prior haunting. Oh, man. Uh, so a handful of things. One, yeah, it, it, look, there's no excuse for mm -hmm. what DeFeo Jr. did. I'm, I'm curious as to why, we'll never know, but as to why, like, the rest of the family? Oh, why everyone? Yeah, like, why, why everyone, everyone was a victim of this? Yeah. So that's interesting. Cause own personal experience, I'm, you know, I haven't seen my dad in a long, long time. And him and I, we butted heads, but never... I was I like okay like everybody in the family like, I gotta that's, retaliate. A, that's a whole yeah. different just oh, yeah. being on the surface level of that just like that's a whole different mindset barrier line mm -hmm. to cross so that's just like I'm just so curious on that aspect of that right I mean um, a wrinkle to your point is like in the moment again his stories were inconsistent there's right. evidence in play yeah etc cetera, etc cetera. but he's also saying in the moment that he himself is like this was the mafia and not to jump too far into it too fast, but some of what Kelsey has to to talk about. Oh, touches on that. It touches on this okay. as well. Like, would this have taken multiple people? Mm -hmm. Was this something that he himself could have? And I, I'm not trying to like clear him of right, anything, right. but it's something to discuss because you're right. This is if, if impacting the entire family. Yeah. So it's it's a um, lot. Another thing too is um, we've done a ton of episodes. I think it's maybe only a couple or a handful where it's like, okay, there was a murder, another group comes in, another murder. Mm -hmm. Like, it's usually just like, there's the one. Right. Or maybe like, there's the one and there was like previous things that happened here. This is a very like, fully detailed picture. Because normally we would just have- One those, incident. One incident. Yeah. And the like, details of that. We're getting two separate occasions and the details of both of them. Mm -hmm. So and I think, how they may or may not yeah. relate, and like domino. Effects. Yeah, and that hit me because we're talking about like when did the haunting start, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. it's like, oh yeah, like when could it have? Because there's at this point multiple points where it could have yeah. happened or like started. Or kicked oh, up. a thousand percent. Yeah, and like, and that's where it makes this particular story. It's both interesting and frustrating, and also, of course, dark. But like what of this is paranormal where does that element start yeah and or honestly is that a part of the picture at all it's like that is right. a, that is another angle to truly look at like you can easily like make the the waters muddy by bringing things in like that and then mm -hmm. i mean the paranormal piece it doesn't have a lot of evidence how does it has that a lot even of like hold up in court at all whatsoever well it doesn't <laughs> so what happened was the prosecution <laughs> well, yeah. i was saying it I'm like i know it doesn't but i'm just like yeah. how like what? right like what do you do yeah yeah well that's where the prosecution did not take interest in the insanity claim claiming and arguing rather that defeo jr was an addict 
who was well aware of his actions mm. and that this was clearly just a an attempt to clear himself of direct blame and yeah. soften his punishment. But let's move on now to the idea that the curse came after the DeFeo murders. So one of the Lutz children, Christopher Quarantino, claimed that the story in Anson's novel was largely exaggerated, but they did truly have paranormal experiences in the Amityville house. So again, He's like, listen, you're exaggerating the exact story. However, we did have paranormal stuff, regardless of what came before. He believes that the paranormal entities were already in the house due to the evil things that had happened there before, and they were intensified after his father's occult rituals. Some would even say that the house became haunted because of his father's interest in doing these occult rituals. George would repeat chants, attempting to contact the dead or summon supernatural beings in the house all sorts of stuff that I deeply recommend you don't do. But Christopher said much of what was written in the novels never actually happened. So that is some heavy words that you got to believe from the person who lived there. But he did say that he saw shadow-like entities in the shape of a man. So I think there might be a (sighs) conflation between reality and the story. An exaggeration too. Definitely. Um, Wow, this is twice this month because we just covered Winchester Mm -hmm. where we're talking about people inviting or bringing like paranormal activity Mm -hmm. to a residence which is not normally something that we discuss if not ever right it's like it already it was already there now we're sitting here going like well maybe they brought it yeah we're looking at terrifying the the points where the house Mm -hmm. goes from house to haunted house right which is super interesting to explore Mm -hmm. because you never hear that that being that being said, yeah, I have a question. You know, we uh, we did our uh, ghost hunt at Penhurst mm-hmm. Asylum, uh, and the task force will see that at the end of the October thirty first. October thirty first, great time to release it. Say we were there. There were some bathrooms. Some of them had mirrors. Yeah. Would you Would you say Bloody um, Mary three times um, at that location? Um. Would you? I I did some mirrors crying. Did you? I, I mean, well, I we were there. Well, we were there. I might have heard something after, so I got scared and I stopped. I'm I'm sorry. You know, sometimes you just fire from the hip. Wait, seriously? Yeah. yeah. You didn't even say nothing. Well, I'm not going to pull out some Bloody Mary. I don't need. Yeah, I don't need to add ghosts to the situation. Right, but I didn't know you were doing that. I didn't know I was doing it either. It just kind of happened. Then I got too scared to finish it. We we we. I don't even know if I was doing it right. Look, we teased in the previous episode. That's why you had a totally different experience than I did. Oh, because I was doing what. This guy was doing with the cult rituals. You're over there, like dabbling with shit I don't crazy. understand. Oh, no. Well, also like just another little tidbit. Christian and I were there, and we're at, we're on location. Yeah. It's dark, and I like I like how you tell us, man. I've been experiencing things all day leading up to this, and uh-huh. I was like, great. You tell us now. Oh, I told you in the podcast part of that. Yeah. Investigation. Yeah. yeah well, you know, sometimes you gotta save the juice for the <laughs> for the material. It's wild. I need that re- reaction on mic. Insane. <laughs> all right. So that was Christopher, one of the sons. Their other son, Daniel, just quickly moving on from Penhurst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. 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 Go for it. Has nightmares to this day about the hauntings he experienced. So, really, like this story is very muddy and it's it's really hard to pluck a few things however let's we'll finish up this theory and dive into the next one so the lutzes believe that tragedy will strike on any family that lives in the amityville house to this day even claiming that a suspected witch had once lived in the very same house 
that's just kind of a throwaway fact, right. I guess. But I'd never heard. But that. I just this, you know, throw it onto the pile. Right. <laughs> so your freaking your mind reading gut instinct of well, what do I do now? I, I don't know. I, you, you've got a, an ability that I can't explain because there is a current owner, not a current owner, but a later owner. That did come out and say something about their experience. Cause you were saying, uh, well, wouldn't somebody were... that lived there now be able to say stuff? Like yeah. have experiences well? So later owner and local to the Amityville area, Jim Cromerty, said nothing like what happened to the DeFeos or the Lutzes ever happened to him or anyone else that he knew that lived in the house prior to either family. So that to me is a huge revelation. Just... I mean, do you believe his word versus the other words? It's you know, whatever, but that's what, a lot. what motive would he have right. to hide it? Exactly. Well, maybe he's like, I'm jealous I missed out on my book deal. I was levitating above my bed, but I didn't get a book. True. But again. But you're right. I'm what, no, I'm I agree. Why would he hide it? Everyone there gets a book deal. It's not bad purchase for a house. Right. Well, that leads us to deal with all that very thing. nicely into the final theory that we're gonna talk about. And we're gonna break it down by family, but that this is a story of foul play. That a lot of sinister stuff went down. And so let's talk about it. Kelsey Childs, please come on, aka the haunted detective, joining the Red Web family at large. All the, two, the three person clap in the room. I feel like I should bow or something, but I'm sitting in no, a we're chair. Bowing. I'll yeah. bow audibly. Oh, oh bow. my God. I don't know what to do with this. All right. So, so you've seen the documentary on the Amityville house, yes. right? And that, just talk to me about that. Like, it's because some of the family members were in that, right? Speaking to their experience. Yeah, so when I rewatched the movie later on in life, I was kind of like, wait a second. Hollywood already embellishes stuff, but mm -hmm. a lot of this just really doesn't add up to me. Specifically as someone who grew up in haunted house and has experienced odd things in my life. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't fully see where A connected all the way over to the number three in their story. If right. that makes any sense at you. all. Not even, with you. not even on the alphabet. Right. It was so <laughs> You're right. I mean, there were so many experiences. We fell off the alphabet back onto the numbers. <laughs> yeah, we did. We. So I was thinking about it and I was like, what, what if George Lutz was never really possessed? But what if this was just something, oh, a way that he normally behaved towards mm -hmm. people in general? What if he was just, you know, a narcissist or someone that didn't like change, whatever it might be, he had outbursts. Sure. So soon after I came up with these theories and I think I actually like made a Facebook post ranting about it or uh -huh. something, the documentary, it either came out or I found it and it was some of the children talking about their accounts and most notably Daniel, yeah. who was the eldest child and he seemed to have been affected the most out of every kid in that family. So is this the DeFeo family or the Lutz family? Daniel Lutz, sorry. Okay, yeah, the yeah. Lutz family with the, the haunting mm -hmm. experience. Okay, sorry. So he remembers the haunting, Yeah. but it seems as if he's remembering it in a way that a kid remembers something scary to block something else out. So like... Uh, clearing their, their mind of the trauma, they insert manufactured experiences. Yeah, yeah. Which we kind of lightly talked about some of the abuse that may or, you know, that may have been going on in that house in, you know, no light terms. Yeah. And he did confirm in the documentary that there was verbal and physical mm -hmm. things going on with George Lutz before he even married into the family. Got you. I mean, yeah, that, that messes with someone oh, psychologically, yeah. physically. 
But even then, the long lasting there is, is the mental game, right? Right. At that point, like you stuff that down, you don't want to remember any of the. the, the well, like, 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 like I said in the previous theory, I mean, Daniel has been haunted literally by his experience in that house uh -huh. to this day. Yep. So it really wouldn't surprise me if there is a more, I mean, in a, in a way, a much more evil, more real origin to right. his experience. Or even then, like Daniel seeing stuff that or that could be, you know, seen as paranormal could just be his mind mm -hmm. um, trying to cope. Absolutely. Yeah. If Daniel experienced it, it's really, really likely that the other kids in the house did too. Yeah. Yeah, I see that as well. I don't like whether it would be they saw it as well or through their sibling, they noticed things. Yeah. yeah, it wouldn't be something that would be subtle. I also wanted to like bring up the DeFeo murders again yeah. because to like further this point, there are a lot of holes in that story, as you previously mentioned. But there were some specifics when I was looking into it further that really just didn't make sense to me. Right. Ooh, let's let's jump in. Let's do it. Okay. So, firstly, there's a book that was written in 2002 basically dissecting the DeFeo's murder. There's also a podcast on CNN that dissects it as well. Mm -hmm. So, one of the holes that this author in the book mentions is the blood stains in some of the crime scene photos. Right. Doesn't match up to the family being killed face down in the bed. Oh, like they like maybe something happened elsewhere and that they were placed there or what well, they previously talk about thought them being yeah. placed there. Right. Mm. Or maybe like a different weapon like they expected, oh, well, the blood splatter was from this rifle, but maybe the blood right. splatter doesn't even the pattern didn't match that of a rifle. But also, on top of that, they found a shell casing from a bullet that didn't match the supposed murder weapon. <gasps> Interesting. Oh, wow. So there was a different weapon. So there was a different firearm there. Yeah, apparently. Right. Allegedly. This is all coming from a book and a podcast. Right, right. So we always have to say, like... I mean, that's that's the nature of this whole show. Like, yeah. we find what we can find and we want to deliver it as, as factually as we can. But of course, we're not the investigative journalists. We're like, we're just trying to piece all the information together. Wait, we're not? E e no. But you can be the haunted you detective. Can. I am in the wrong room. I am in the wrong room. I'm going to be safely on surface level. <laughs> Sharks in the water. I stay on boat. <laughs> yeah, I stay on boat. So, okay. So we have blood splatters that don't match up with the murders happening in the bed. Yes. We have weapon casings that don't match the weapon at hand. Or maybe there was like a secondary weapon at least. And then supposedly the police officers on the case and the prosecutor were documented saying that this crime would have taken up to three people to commit, which then goes over to Alfredo's question earlier. Uh, well, I asked a lot of questions. Like it, had to be, like it had to be multiple people? Yeah. And why did he kill his whole family? Because that's just on another level. That's I'm telling guy. you. I did ask that one. This guy can read I, the future. I'm I, telling I, you, I, he's got some latent abilities. I did ask Next that men, question. But like softer, like a but wide like man. my, my, my. Yeah. I did but see like, him in the hallway earlier. His oh. eyes were rolling back into his head and he was like doing this weird chant. So I think maybe that's how he prepares my, for these episodes. Oh, my you know, I have go, seen that. It's his ritual. My psychic power is the ability to ask common questions. <laughs> 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 Honestly, though. They might feel common to you, but there's sometimes where you're like, how about this, though? And I'm like, how did you? Like, we're specifically <laughs> right. getting into directly that next. Okay, anyway. That's true. I do nail a lot of what's next. But it might just be the na name okay. of it. 
So we have prosecutors and police saying that it could have been multiple people or, or should have been multiple people to up perpetuate to this, this murder. Uh, up to three? Well, one is up to three. Is it at least three? I think it was at least three. Sorry. That's okay. I'm just making sure. That's as investigative as I get. <laughs> I <ask> right. <laughs> yeah. A secondary type of weapon casing indicating that there was some other weapon in play and then the blood splatters being elsewhere or in some other pattern. Interesting. Because then when you combine that with his on-site sentences, right? He's like, this must have been the mafia or help. Like he ran off to go get help himself. And then after the police got in play, then the next day, suddenly he's confessing and his story is not lining up. But also at the, but the, at the end of the, uh, sure, this is very a very traumatic situation. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the truth is the truth right you can tell it 50 different ways you can tell it backwards you can tell it in third you can tell like the fifth thing and the tenth thing together right like it'll always be the same yeah that's the truth so the fact that he went in jumbled and it sounds like he was jumbled multiple times uh, that's i don't know man that's a little rough Mm -hmm. well it is said that suffolk county which as someone growing up in new york Mm -hmm. or as someone who grew up in new york i can say that um this really does ring true to that state in particular. The confession rate in Suffolk was Mm. astronomically higher than other surrounding counties. So that kind of makes you wonder, is there a reason he was jumbled? Right, is there a reason he was jumbled? And also like, just to stick to facts, like why this county has a higher level of conviction versus the rest or, or admission of guilt or what have you. What other pressures are in play? Or are they just the best investigative team on the field? And yeah, it, I, I don't want to dive too much deeper into that because a lot of feelings will come out. But like, it, it is something of note in this particular yeah. case, 100%. And I'm talking like 95% compared to like 20 or 30%. Right. That Huge is... disparity. What, a town over? There's like 75% I feel like less. that should be looked into. Yeah. <laughs> like, a lot of things should be. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that is a, you, yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, I feel like that's just such an outlier of a number then. Yeah. This this case is odd. Do you, I don't know if I don't want to step on any other like revelations you got as far as like the foul play angle, but because I don't want to close out this episode just yet, but like so far, like just discussing this, it feels like whether it be on the paranormal side or on the just foul play side or what have you, it's so confusing because it's jumbled with stories and experiences and memories and stories being all over the place. And so it's really hard to figure out on one hand, where did the paranormal activity start? Yeah. Was that in play? Is it the why to a lot of this or some of this or none of this? It's wild. This this is what I love about doing the podcast is you end up uncovering so much more interesting curiosities and questions than just the surface level investigation, like watching the movie, right? Yeah. I subscribed to DeFeo Jr. killing mm-hmm. his family. And then from there... Um, the father of the Lux family was like, look, I'm into this stuff. And so bought the house and want to capitalize off of it. Hmm. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think the only thing kind of with some of what Kelsey's bringing is like, was DeFeo alone? Were they kind of coerced into an admission of guilt? Or were they part of it, right? Or like what level of, that's the part that's the most hairy. That's the hardest to decipher that I would be really interested to be like a fly on the wall to to properly yeah. like get the facts down that seem to be lost to time. I'm surprised there's not any like, I don't know, maybe maybe it was glossed over 
but it doesn't seem like anything came up as to why the DeFeo family was even tied to the mob or why would they be targeted to the mob? Oh, like why did they just kind of name yeah. drop the mob at the like their uncle was in the mob or something? It's like, yeah. well, it's just supposedly, according to multiple sources, including this book from 2002, the DeFeo family had connections to local crime organizations. Mm. Ah, there you go. Okay, okay, so there it is. There could be motive, yeah, retaliation, something, money. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And Ooh. all of my New Yorkers listening to this will know there is an entire street in the Bronx, Arthur Avenue, that's literally owned by the mob. Like they own the entire street. So it is a very, very prominent thing to happen in New York to have some sort of mob or mafia encounter. Interesting. Oh, don't like that. Do you think you've had any? No, I was just He's never. Like, nothing I want to talk about. I was just never, you know, don't worry about it. Yeah, just don't ask anymore. Just don't ask about <laughs> don't those. Don't worry about it. Yeah, and different names and different passports I got. That's so interesting, though. Like, it also kind of gives me the willies, the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, that's real life stuff. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's something so real that I'm kind of like, hmm. I like, I just, I'm, I'll, look, I'll move away from yeah, that. Yeah, I'm just doing my thing. <laughs> we would go eat at this restaurant when my sister went to school in the Bronx, and there would just be like a back table, a round table, and just men like in, in suits just like sitting around with cigars and stuff. Uh-huh. And we were like, Ah, okay. You're, you're in a scene of God. Right. Yes. That's what's pretty happening. much. Yeah. Cut to the conversation happening at that table where the guys are like, man, we feel like gangsters <laughs> right like, now. They're so cool. <laughs> we, I'm so glad we rented these this, suits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, <laughs> this mobster-themed bachelor party is awesome. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> hey, hey, guys, you have a... Hey, Paulie, do you ever think that we maybe shouldn't do a mobster-themed bachelor party right. here in the heart of uh, New York? Well, the thing is probably like... Or talk like this? <laughs> the thing is just like that. But instead, it's just very much like, hey, Ryan. No, no, no. I'm Paulie today. <laughs> oh, yeah. My bad. Hey, Paulie. <laughs> you ever think this is a bad idea? He goes, absolutely every day. Every day. Every day I do. <laughs> All right. Well, as we come to a close, I'm really happy. We we finally broke the seal on having a guest on Red Web. Yeah, we did. And uh, what better... Then Kelsey Childs, a.k.a. The Haunted Detective, who is bringing up a sister podcast. No date yet. Do you want to talk about it? You want to tease what you got working on? I could. Do well, it, do it. Oh, okay. Get yeah. in there. So it's going to be an investigative style podcast. So if you like the points I brought up here, you're definitely going to like the podcast that we're creating, basically. Yeah. So it's going to be true crime, urban legends, and how it really relates to real life and real history and psychology and everything of that matter. And you're going to talk to people. You're try, you're, you're yeah. going to be doing more of the investigation yeah. that we safely tuck ourselves away from. Right. Lots of deep diving, journalistic type stuff. Yeah. We're actually, all of the dangerous investigations, we're going to make Alfredo do. That's no, already, that makes yeah, sense. Contract. Yeah. No, I did think that that that's, was worth putting in the contract. That's wow. This is my last episode. <laughs> <laughs> this is fifth last episode. Dang. <laughs> well, Kelsey, thank you so much. For now, until that podcast comes out, where can they find you? On social media or on TikTok or whatever? I am. I have no social media. No, I'm on TikTok. <laughs> That'd be the, wild. That, that would be really, that's like a red flag we nowadays. We talked about that. What? I don't know if it was here or Oh, would on you date topic. somebody without social? No, yeah, 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 yeah. That was here. Yeah, that was here. Yeah, we talked about that. Like, is that a red flag? That That is a red flag nowadays. You're, you're right. But the, at The Haunted Detective? On TikTok and The Kelsey Childs on Instagram. Heck yeah. Awesome. Well, well no thanks, Kelsey. Of course. Thanks for jumping Thank on uh, and talking about this terrible history of a home. But otherwise, Fredo, I'll see you right back here next week 
for another haunted house. <laughs>